Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Maureen Smith. Daniel Johansson is not here, but you know who is? Tikkun fellow, Danielle Levski. Hello. <laughs> so I was talking to you a little bit before we, before we recorded and I was like, you've never been to a Maureen-led podcast interview have you i haven't i'm very excited for what's about to come and it's already starting off great because as you did the countdown moody quite literally jumped into my lap (laughs) on one she she like did the little waddle cat thing at three and then leapt at two and landed at one it was perfect i was doing the countdown for moody there you go moody yeah there you go yeah no, she's got she's got excellent timing. Um, she honestly, I I really think that she knows when we're doing a podcast interview because we'll be like we'll sometimes have meetings here, um, and she'll jump she'll you know be in the mix, but pretty much only when we're doing podcast interviews is when she'll like plant on someone's lap. That's so cute. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. She loves it, and. <laughs> Yeah. It's great. It's very in sync. So how are you today? Uh, I had like a rough day at work, but then I had a really nice walk outside and this is my favorite weather and it's nice yeah. and brisk and crispy and it makes me want to smush my face into a pumpkin. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Is Halloween your favorite holiday? Yes. I have, I have a hard time <laughs> with Halloween just oh, because really? so you know based on the fact that i run a magazine you may be surprised to know that i'm not particularly creative (laughs) when it comes when it comes to uh like coming up with costume ideas but you know i enjoy the season i enjoy the weather change that's good yeah i enjoy candy candy is lovely also i mean beyond the costumes i just love the idea of like decorating for a certain Mm. theme I love, I do love dressing up. I think it's fantastic to like be able to live as another entity or character or whatnot for an evening, which is also like, you know, why I love theater. Um, My second favorite holiday is Purim Mm. for the same reasons. (laughs) Because they're, because like Halloween is like, like just like secular Purim. Like a Mm. lot of Jews say that. And uh, I mean, yeah, I love both. And what do you, what do you do during Purim? So Purim, actually, Purim has a lot of great things behind it. Um, it's the holiday that celebrates the triumph of uh, Esther, which is a character from the Torah. She, I don't, I'm always, I always have bad recalling the story, like, on command. But basically, um, she's a Jewish female heroine. She, like, saved all her people, but she went to, like, pretty extreme odds to do so. Like, she had to go through a harem and be picked of a harem to be a new queen um she had to like defeat this evil like henchman of the king that was mad because um her uncle mordehai like wouldn't bow down to him so he's like fine i'm gonna kill all the jews and he's like that's a bit extreme but okay and and so she ended up saving all the people is this the holiday that has hamantashen yes Haman is the name of the evil henchman. Oh. So we eat him. Or we eat the cookies that is him. Hamantaschen are great. They're delicious. Our friend Josh um, figured out how to make vegan hamantaschen. Oh, hell yeah. My friend makes vegan and gluten-free hamantaschen. And they're Josh. Pretty, pretty good. Josh. Get it together. <laughs> Take it to the next level. Also, the cool thing about um, the Book of Esther is that it doesn't mention God once. Really? And it's called the Book of Esther. It's literally named after a woman, which is also, like, pretty cool. And I, it's my Hebrew name. I Really? Yeah. I think that this is a natural segue <laughs> into the first thing I want to talk about. Cool. And so what we were, something we were talking about when we were kind of, like, trying to figure out what we were going to talk about, um, something that I mentioned that I find interesting is that among left-leaning folks, I would say that it is more common than not that people don't identify with an organized religion Mm -hmm. and however you are very connected with judaism Mm -hmm. and then you corrected me and so i'd like to so i would love for you to uh take it away (laughs) not on the not necessarily correction but yeah no for sure but just kind of like well actually yeah well 
so on one hand, I think historically speaking, like if you look before 1950s, 1850s, uh, religious Jews were heavily involved in leftist political movements because a, a lot of Judaism is founded on like socialist values. And isn't Marx also a Jew? I'm not sure. Actually, that's not true. He's not. Um, <laughs> but there are like a lot of Jewish theorists who wrote about um, equality, um, the whole idea of a kibbutz, which is like a oh yeah, it's a like, small it's commune, a commune yeah. um, that you can find like throughout Israel and throughout like other Jewish territories in the world. Uh, it's it's literally a commune, yeah, because of the idea of like communality and family and all these other ideas that are expressed in Judaism. On that note, though, nowadays, and for relatively the past, like, 100 to 200 years since the different branches of Judaism began to form, people have become less and less religious and more and more cultural. And that, yes, that is based in the fact that, like, more and more people are becoming less religious in general. Mm -hmm. But it's also tied into the fact that as a nomadic people, nomadic by force, I should add, uh, Jews have kind of been spread all over the world. Um, forcibly so, usually. Like, trying to go to a different place, trying to move to a different country or to a different continent, and being forcefully removed or, like, kicked out because they don't want to, like, comply to that country's mostly Christian standards. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, um, I guess, if you have so many different people going across all sections of the world you're you're going to keep certain traditions mm -hmm. and those traditions stick even if like you're no longer religious right so like the certain the certain foods that you eat certain uh, like holidays that you keep certain things that you do certain characteristics that you have certain strange things that you believe that like like let's say you're an engineer but you still have some like, strange superstitions that's like very indicative of like an eastern european jew <laughs> um there's there's stuff like that that ties everyone together and i guess just simply the fact that being in a prolonged diaspora when you meet another jewish person it's like oh hey cool like where are you from? like where's your family from like what where was their journey that brought them here um so i guess yeah it, it's less of a religious connection and it it, it would technically be considered like an ethnic group by definition of like the nomadic and diasporic travels that Jewish people have gone through for over the past hundreds of years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and as as a, you know, a, a white lady from Wisconsin who grew up Catholic, I mean, I really there really isn't a lot of cultural heritage that I grasp onto from Catholicism cuz Catholics have lived fairly comfortably, to be perfectly honest. So there there hasn't really been a need to, like, preserve, you know, like, the, I mean, there's been a fair amount of preservation just because, like, we have a king guy in, in Italy. So, like, you know, there's your <laughs> preservation. But, like, talk about, like, peak religious privilege yeah. that there you literally have, like, a king. Well, it's also <laughs> because, like, I guess think about the fact that so many countries were Christian of some variety, right? Catholic, right. Protestant, Lutheran, but they were still that country. So people who like white folks who descended from like Germany or right. Scotland or whatever, they feel Scottish. Exactly. I, I'm not tied to any country because, well, I mean, I'm technically tied to like Russian speaking communities because that's like the current moment of my family history. But historically speaking, my family and other Jewish families we've never been able to be tied to a country because we've never been accepted by a country. Right. So all we have is the Judaism. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, like, my family is, like, Irish and German. And, like, we can comfortably cling to that because we've, <laughs> we ha we don't have to... We've been able to stay in one place for a little bit, which has been... I'm not going to speak to that because I... <laughs> whatever. But uh, yeah. anyway, so... So... That's awesome. Uh so I'm interested. Well, there was um, there was a speaking of kind of like Jewish, but not necessarily religious. There was a there was a congregation that you were talking about before we recorded. Were you able to figure figure it out? Yes. One moment. Hold for uh, <laughs> what's the word? Uh, Anticipation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mishkan. So, um, 
Mishkan is a congregation in Chicago that focuses on down-to-earth Judaism. So they're one of the reform congregations in Chicago. And uh, I haven't had a chance to go yet, though I really like to, because there's something really awesome about services on, like, Shabbat nights or, or even just, like, to go and, like, hang out with other people. Um, but I've never liked the divisiveness of more organized forms of religion, Judaism or not. But I just, I don't want to be separated from folks that identify as men. I, I don't oh. want to, like, feel like there's something different about me simply because I'm a woman. There's I stuff for- like that that's... I forgot about that aspect of... Yeah. Because uh, I, when I was a kid, my dad was very, was really um, into showing my brother and I different religious experiences and oh, that's so cool. yeah and so he had one of one of his co-workers um at his law firm was an orthodox jew yeah and so we spent a shabbat with them oh that's and like nice. it was super strange because my brother my dad and his co-worker got to go to the temple early and me my mom and his wife had to stay behind and i was like why do they get to go yeah i've had moments like that too with with women in the more religious community where I hear like little girls say like, well, I don't have to go to synagogue. And I'm like, no, well, if you, you should, if you want to. And I get like very defensive because, you know, I, I think everyone should learn. Yeah. And it shouldn't be reduced down to a gender. Ugh. Anyway. So the cool thing about Mishkan <laughs> is that <laughs> it's, um, it's very liberal. It's very, very reformed. Um, like for instance, their rabbi is a queer, um, assigned female at birth rabbi uh i i don't want to like misquote but i i know she's a member of the lgbtq community and she said she said things like um uh i don't believe in god let's talk about it kind of thing and and she's a rabbi and i think that's really cool yeah (laughs) um and it speaks to this like higher idea of spirituality and community and and belonging and togetherness so I'm not sure if that was entirely accurate as a journalist. I hate to be inaccurate, <laughs> but this this is what I've been like told and heard and, and like read through the grapevine, and I would like to go discover it for myself. But so those kinds of communities do exist, and that's I guess the kind of Jew I identify as. Like, cool. Don't know don't know much about the well. I I know a lot about the Torah because I worked for different jewish organizations i don't know if i believe all the things yeah but i believe in the community and i believe in like my people yeah (laughs) well at the end of the day that's like the biggest thing yeah that's i mean that's what a lot of people get out of a religious a religious community is the community i mean i know that's that's what my mom gets out of going to church yeah she has real she has major issues with the catholic church but she really loves the people that she goes to church with yeah and so she goes because she likes to see her friends she likes the community she you know it's it's peaceful to her and so but i don't want to accept things that i'm morally unokay with which is like you know not accepting lgbtq folks and their love and their relationships dividing men and women sexism yeah which is why congregations like that one are appealing to me because they're like you know what we don't do that we're going to use this like four thousand six thousand year old book not as a rule book but as like a reference for like how to be a better person that's what we like about (laughs) that's what we like about our church job because it's like you know our the the pastor at this church he like puts his pronouns in his email signature with a link to like what's this about um it's like very openly inclusive you know there's always you know in the sermons there's always reference to what's happening with you know refugees and there's always connections to like whenever there's discussion of oppression there's app there's modern application that is that is real and topical and important and needs to be discussed and yeah so it's it's i like i think that in order for religious communities to remain a supportive beacon i think that they need to adapt and it sounds like this particular community is doing that which is great yeah so i gotta go yeah i gotta go i'll go with you that sounds cool yeah that sounds cool they Uh, sing Ooh, they're singing singing um so So. (laughs) 
you are <laughs> 15 minutes in <laughs> you are here because um you were awarded a fellowship mm-hmm. um called the tikkun fellowship would you mind talking a little bit about it sure thing so um the tikkun fellowship the word tikkun comes from the hebrew phrase tikkun olam which is um to give back or to 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 be plentiful and and it has all to do with the the mitzvah of charity and giving um so this fellowship was started by uh the russian jewish division which is a subdivision of the jewish united fund um and it was created by a group of russian-speaking jewish people who had come over from various russian-speaking countries whether or not that was their first language doesn't necessarily matter but like most of them were soviet countries um and a significant community developed here in Chicago from people from Russia, Ukraine, Lithuania, Georgia, Uzbekistan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, banding together, uh, they created this fellowship that was meant to highlight and support not just the Russian-speaking community, but like other immigrant communities in general through arts education and arts support. Cool. So... I had been looking at the fellowship for several years because I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I don't even know. Like, I wouldn't even know what to begin, what to do with it. I'd seen other people like organize concerts where they would bring like different artists over the world who were Jewish and like were doing really cool stuff. They would bring like Yiddish speaking artists. They would host like talks with like Holocaust survivors. And I'm like, I don't have anything. I was looking at some of the past <laughs> recipients and like yeah. one of them was like, um, cooking classes like israeli cooking classes for engaged and married couples it's yeah Yeah. it seems like it could be pretty much anything yeah as long as it has some kind of artistic lean and community like community most of all that's really that was the thing that was hard for me because obviously like creating an art project for me isn't that's not the challenging bit right but i didn't know how to who well first of all who i wanted to engage and be how i wanted to engage them uh, but the current leader of the Russian Jewish division, Zhenya Kovalman, she reached out to me after she had read one of my pieces or a couple of my pieces um, on different sites that I, w- I was writing about, like my identity and speaking Russian and being Jewish and all that jazz. One of them was about New Year's Eve and how my family celebrates it and how it's like a big deal for um, like Soviet diaspora folks. And how it's like an even bigger deal than like most other holidays, regardless of your religion. And that's like a hard thing for a lot of people to get here, especially when you're like, I'm Jewish, but I've got like a Christmas tree, air marks, in my house. It's not a Christmas tree to us. It's a New Year's tree. And it's not Santa Claus. It's Father Winter with his granddaughter, Little Snowflake. Oh. Yeah. And it's like a lovely holiday. It's really good. It was like, it's very, it's secular. It was a lot of like the a lot of for a lot of people in like the former soviet union it was a one time a year that they felt equal to everybody else truly so it was like a really good time yeah. um and another one was about my experiences with anti-semitism uh just after the the charlottesville riots i was like reading about all of these people mostly white people being like oh my god we have racism and anti-semitism what is this like they thought you know it was new or something and i'm like this is not new no. So I offered my humble perspective on encounters I've had with that. <laughs> so Jenya read all those and she was like, hey, I want you to do something for us. And I was like, I have like what? I write things. It's not tech, it's not really like a community engaged right. activity. I'm a writer. I write things. People read them. And that's like as as far as the community engagement goes. But she asked me to think about how it could be more community engaging. And I think... Her asking me propelled me to truly think about it in a deeper way and think about my um, identity outside of a writer, which is an editor. So I thought about what if I extended the editing practice to my readers? (laughs) And that's how I kind of came up with my project where I would write a draft of a piece send it out to people ask for feedback really ask for like criticism and, and like true responses to what I was writing then discuss it live and hopefully get more responses to think about and talk about and and then post a second draft and that way it's a community engaged project because I'm making the community the editor rather than myself that's really interesting because I think that 
Um, as far as like essays and like think pieces go, I think that the trap that those tend to fall into is that it is one perspective. It mm-hmm. is subjective. It's one person talking about their experience in this in this one moment or through this one tradition or or yeah. whatever it is. And so I think that opening it up to the community and being like, you know, ha- giving somebody the opportunity to be like, you're actually misremembering how this cultural event went down. It's actually this. Yeah, yeah. And like actually being able to, and through that, I mean, you know, even if somebody doesn't have something to say, like it's cool to see the early thought processes of just kind of like thinking through these memories and these experiences. Yeah. And and I always get, I got really surprised, especially by my first essay about the responses I got. Um, I had one person respond to me asking like, this was really cool where you like you discussed for a brief moment about like how so homosexuality was in this former Soviet union. But I really wish there was more about like trans folks and queer folks. And I was like, yeah, that's a great point. I have no idea. Let me look into it. And I did. And it was fascinating. I found out that actually the first transgender operation took place in the Soviet Union. Really? In the world. Wow. Yeah. So I would have never found that out had it not been for like a friend. Re- like I asked my friend, please read this. I, I'm like, I really would love to hear your thoughts. And they gave me their feedback. And here we are. And then I had another friend where I was like, hey, please read this. Knowing... I sent it to a friend of mine who is an Orthodox Jewish person. And I had one particular part in this essay that was very critical about um, uh, the how women's menstruation is treated in, in, in like, Orthodox traditions. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly critical of it. Very critical of it. And I wanted them to read it so they could give me their feedback. And I was kind of thinking the feedback would be angry or critical, but it actually launched like a really nice discussion. They were like, you know, I've never thought about it that way before. I've never like really been able to read a full perspective from somebody who's like a secular Jew on how they feel about this. And like, you make a lot of good points. So we had like a really nice productive discussion, but they also like corrected some of the things I had uh, not necessarily correct from the Torah, and that was helpful too. Cause, yeah, because I don't, I, I want my opinions to be represented, but I, I don't want to misrepresent what I'm quoting. You know, I, I think that. So I'm not generally one to be like, we need to engage with people that we disagree with, because I think that nine times out of ten, it leads to frustration and further division. Yes, but I think that in situations where you're trying to, um where you're trying to specifically identify things that are wrong within that community. Yeah. But you want to be as accurate as possible. Yeah. I think that in those cases, reaching out to, not to say that you disagree with your Orthodox friend, Mm -hmm. but in situations where you're like, I think that this aspect of this experience is harmful to women. Yeah. And I would like you as a member of this community to make sure that through in my criticism, I am being accurate. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that that person was open to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not everyone would be. I specifically no, reached not. out to them <laughs> knowing that they were more like, okay, I'm open. I see your perspective. I don't agree with it, but I see your perspective. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I see your perspective. I don't agree with it. But I see your perspective. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So now how far into this fellowship are you how many essays are you writing um so i think originally i agreed to write six essays that might have been a little ambitious okay (laughs) because well we'll see because um over the summer i came into a lot of other projects that i had to take on whether it be for my muggle job or for my other jobs or for an exam I'm studying for or for like new babies being born and all this stuff but I would still like to do six essays okay and I had several topics planned out for them already the ones I've already done are um the first one which is about feminism in the Soviet Union in Judaism and in like the modern Jewish American woman's life I guess Mm -hmm. Um, the second one was about Rogers Park 
and how it used to house this like pretty tight-knit like post-soviet community in the early 90s like from the early 90s to the late 90s and uh, how I was like I was born into that but like missed a lot of it unfortunately but know so much of it through stories um so that was the second one the third one I'm working on is about music and like how well how what a big part music has played in my life specifically music that my parents brought with them basically from the Soviet Union um like on one hand they always tell me about how annoying it was for them to come to America and like finally be exposed to all these like western artists that they didn't have access to before or that they could only get access to on the black market when they were living in Kiev but on the other hand they had this also this like rich repertoire of like really beautiful uh, Soviet artists Jewish artists like the few disco artists that they let in from the western hemisphere like Boney M like I love Boney M and everyone's like that's really specific and who is that (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like there's this really awesome Jamaican group and, and like they were super wild in uh, the Soviet Union, very popular, which Aww. is so funny. But uh, you know the song Rasputin? Ra, ra, Rasputin. Ma. Oh. Uh-huh. Kind of. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was like back in the day with like Dance Dance Revolution or something. It was really uh, big. That's why everyone. Is that Boney M? That's Boney M. Hmm. They're great. Did they, ra- did they write ra- uh, Rasputin because of their popularity in the Soviet Union? That's a good question. I think I'll find out for my essay. I think that that would be <laughs> um, too much of a coincidence. Otherwise, this Jamaican group being like, you know, we should, you know, we, we should, should write, write about, about this like random dude from Russian <laughs> royal super, history, the superhuman <laughs> who wouldn't die, who would not die. <laughs> oh man. Well, cool. Yeah. So, so Rogers Park or. Music, sorry. Music, music yeah, is yeah. the third one. Um, there were a couple of other topics I'm thinking about that I haven't formally decided on, but but they range between, like, weird superstitions inherited from, like, the folklore of Ukraine and um, mythical Judaism to um, food, because... Food. Who doesn't like essays about food? Because food. Because food. <laughs> I also wanted to do one where I talk to like my peers, like other people my age or like around my age, like let's say between twenty and thirty, mm-hmm. whose family also came over here, but they were born here and they have this constant identity crisis too. Specifically in Chicago, or yeah, yeah, cool. Because then they'll also identify with that, like Rogers Park experience and. Well, was yeah, was Rogers Park the main landing, like the main landing place oh, yeah. for Soviet refugees? Yeah, I think because of its proximity to all those like social services that they had that I mentioned mm, in the essay. That's right, and also a lot of like the the government provided housing. It, they all kind of just like lumped everyone in there. Interesting. Yeah. No, it is interesting how it ended up being Rogers Park. But in like historically speaking, when I read about Rogers Park and like Devon Avenue in general, that's been a migrating or not mig- like a shifting, rotating immigrant community for centuries, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, so I know that currently Devon is mostly like Indian and Pakistani. Exactly. Yeah. Did it used to not be? No, it had like a little bit of both. Interesting. So, yeah. My mom's first first. uh it was her first job. Yes, it was her first job was working in an Indian video store. Um, they would, her and her mom, my grandmother, would come in there to like make copies because they were cheaper than going to Walgreens. Yeah. So they would go in there. They'd make copies for like different government documents. And they got friendly with the owner. He was really nice. And they would like t- chat and talk. My mom's English was really good. And he was like, hey, I'm trying to open up like a Russian video section. Do you want to help me run it? Oh, my God. So my mom was, like, selling Russian videos. Cool. That was her first job. That was smart of that guy. Yeah. R- really smart. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, that's kind of how the community was for a while. There was, like, this really cool intersection between, those, like, the Patel video store next to, like, like Olga's Delicatessen next to, like, an Indian restaurant next to some other Russian thing. It, yeah. It's super funny. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone moved north and west into the suburbs and then uh, those restaurants and businesses kind of died out yeah so what essay are you working on right now the music one 
Very cool. So, and at what stage are you with this essay? Oh boy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The looking at my research and frustration stage and trying to piece together an actual story because there's so many, I could, there's so many stories. Music has been an integral part of my life since I was a child. L- literally, one of my first memory. I don't even know what's like an actual memory I have or the one that rep- repetitively get, got got shared with me as I was a kid. But it was like my mom singing me to sleep with like uh, these old Russian lullabies and me purposefully not falling asleep to continue listening to her. Aww. Like shutting my eyes a little bit and then like opening them back up again. And her being like, come on. And then I start crying and then she starts singing and I stop crying. But like open my eyes again and Aww. Yeah. So yeah, from from the from the second I could hear music was pretty important to me. Yeah. Wow. Well, and so I would love to talk about the live stream aspect ah, yes. of this process <laughs> because you know, we talked a little bit about like the the way that you got into this fellowship, among other things, was an essay about anti-Semitism. And through this fellowship, you have experienced some anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind talking a little bit about the the particular live stream I'm I'm referencing? Yes, I, I can definitely do. Actually, you were part of that live stream. I was some really awesome questions and it was like such a shame that oh, I was such a shame. OK, so this was uh, <laughs> the first take of my live stream video for my second essay, which was about um, Devon Avenue, Rogers Park and all the Russian speaking Jews settling in around there. So um, what I typically do with these live streams, I get on Facebook a video live. It's public. I like tag all the things. I make sure I get all ready. I have uh, questions prepared that people have either like commented on my essays or like posted or sent to me somehow. And I talk about them until somebody comments in the live video. Then I address those questions right away. So basically I have like material prepared in case nobody asks me any questions, which happened the first time and then the second time that didn't happen because i had some interesting visitors pop up on my page um so first it was uh so yeah i guess content warming we're gonna talk about anti-semitism and a bit of transphobia Mm -hmm. right yeah uh so i forgot about the transphobia yeah no it was really ridiculous (laughs) um so uh I was talking, uh, Maureen and Daniel and a couple of other po- folks were sending me some really awesome questions talking about the the aspect of my folks and other people like you know the community being refugees and how that relates to the refugee crisis today. And so we were discussing that. We were discussing like research materials. It was really cool, like a really productive conversation. I'm trying to think. And then, I, I'm trying to think, what did I, I specific, one of the questions that I asked you was it was it about like the um was it about like the homosexual community or like no no it, it was about uh I don't think it was your questions that spawned anything I don't think it was it, I so I so what happened basically Sorry. was uh <laughs> someone posted on the video because it's public so anyone can post on it yeah. and they were asking about a couch and I and I thought maybe they had just gone to the wrong page like they had like ended up on the wrong video like somebody else was doing a live stream selling a couch i don't know i I was just like hey uh you're on the wrong page i don't have any couches here to sell and then somebody else joined in and also said something about a couch i was selling and then i noticed a couple more people did it and they kept referring to me um with like masculine pronouns and i thought it was strange but i thought maybe like oh maybe i don't know Maybe English isn't their first language or maybe they don't know who they're talking to or I don't know. I made all of those sorts of like excuses in my head. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, they're just trolls. Ha ha. Whatever. Yeah. And I continued talking. And then about five minutes of my my talking, I look at my comment stream and there was all of these really terrible, disgusting, anti-semitic things that people were saying and then i said something to the effect of like you need to stop talking right now and like get off my page or you're there's going to be consequences and then some person responded like or what you'll 
you'll uh, uh what is it you'll lower my taxes with your jew magic or something like you'll, that you'll you'll tank my credit score oh with, tank my credit score with your, with your jew magic at that so meanwhile daniel and i are watching this unfold and we're like because we've dealt with some yeah with some white supremacist right wing really scary things and yeah. so like we like sprang into action like daniel was like texting you being like put it on friends only immediately like and just like yeah it, it like it was you handled it well though i i was i didn't think i did but i appreciate you saying that because i it's, don't think i should have reacted to them well here here's the thing i was so surprised yeah what couches well, I know. So we found out what, yeah. what the whole couches thing was about after after I finished recording the video and then I got a call from Daniel and Maureen and they were like, hey, so you have to check your website stats. Hey, you have to check like your Facebook, like, like make sure this hasn't been shared around. And so that's the first thing I did. I checked to see where else it had been shared on Facebook. And it had been shared to a couple of different groups, all with like couch in the name. So couch is like some kind of calling card. And then in the actual messages that the people were posting about this live stream in the groups was like tranny Jew talking about couch. Yeah. Which is terrible. Yeah. And, and I felt, yeah, I felt really like bad and horrible. And so part of me was like, I don't want to take this down because that's just like giving into them or like they win. But on the other hand, I was like, if this is already being shared and tracked and this could end up on a website or like a forum or somewhere like in heaven forbid, like 4chan. Yeah. And then I also worried. I'm like, okay, well, what if my friends, you know, like what do my queer friends see this and this like triggers them or or my Jewish friends who don't have such a thick skin for this (laughs) and it triggers them, too. Well, and and also there's um, in the live streaming community, there's always a danger of like and this isn't and it's subconscious that when you watch someone's live stream and you see hate speak, you automatically you the first thing that comes to your mind is how could this streamer allow this to happen and so having it reflect badly on you yeah is what is bad yeah so i deleted it and i re-recorded it with friends only which is a shame because the whole point of the live stream was that i was trying to invite every community it didn't matter like if you were my friend or a stranger i wanted everyone to join in and i somehow thought there was enough good in the world <laughs> that something like this wouldn't happen but that was probably naive you know there's there's nothing really that we can do to prepare no. ourselves for that i mean when we were dealing with that with the um white supremacy and classical music article it it like we had no idea what to do we yeah. like talked to a pr person because we were like that we've never dealt with anything like yeah. this before. It was scary. It was. Yeah. Um. And like, nothing can really prepare you for some something like that, except for experiencing it. Yeah. Which. Yeah. So. Now, how long does this fellowship? Is there like a time limit? Yes, I have until February to finish all the essays, which is why I'm like a little like panicky that like oh seven <laughs> maybe let's do six yeah <laughs> um but i think six is still plenty considering the amount of material i put together that's great yeah um and is there anything that you have coming up like do you i know that you're still in the like writing stages of this yeah. next of this next essay yeah but like when can people be expecting a draft do you you know what let's say it on air because it'll like light a fire under my ass <laughs> to get it done um yeah okay mm. today is like it's like mid-november mid-october right now mm-hmm. it's the uh it is the 14th okay yeah first week of november you can see a draft about music and like specifically focusing on soviet music and jewish music and all the stuff my parents brought over and i grew up with that's still so near dear to my heart and some actually like a whole segment on like yiddish music that i went to a couple months ago that was fascinating awesome yeah yeah (sighs) so for the last essay that you mentioned 
you you said that you wanted to connect with individuals your age. Are you like in a position to be able to do that easily? So it's a bit of a dilemma because I grew up in in like a largely Russian speaking Jewish community. Um, but I always had a hard time connecting with kids my age. And I don't know if it was because we had like different interests, like in all throughout my like early years of school, I, I like loved studying and and was very nerdy (laughs) and like did too much stuff so i'm basically the same as i am as i was as a child (laughs) it's good to know some things don't change yeah exactly (laughs) consistency but uh, like a lot of the kids i grew up with were really into uh like house music and partying and like said some like really problematic shit all the time and i wasn't doing those things so i had trouble hanging out with them yeah (laughs) and growing up like you know i was hoping that i would find people my age also russian speaking also jewish who i could align with more and it's been harder it's been a lot harder to do that i meet people every now and then but i'm i'm so like connected to my identity and my family and 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 this like culture that i was raised out of right now out of in in of um but it's been really hard for me to find like-minded, basically, like, I guess, as, as liberal <laughs> as I am, uh, Russian-speaking Jews. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, like, well, first of all, could you connect with fellow Tikkun fellows? Yes and no, because, you know we have a bit of an age gap so most of them like oh. are much older than me oh oh yeah because yeah, the eight the age range is 22 to 40 right yeah and like most oh. of them are like mid 30s and older oh. which like actually I have a lot of friends in their 30s but mm-hmm. in terms of like in terms of the, the time gap that people... of like a russian speaking jewish person if they're in their 30s it means they came over here as a child and their perspective on life is like a little different which is understandable. Like, yeah. Like my parents said, something's some things we'll never see eye to eye because I didn't grow up, you know, like they did. Yeah. And thankfully, like right. Yeah, thanks to them for that. But like, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, there's yeah. yeah, there's there's a big difference between between being born into being born in the new country. Yeah. Versus being born in the older in yes. the old country. Exactly. Oh no, a huge difference. Yeah. And even if you were only there for like five years, that's an impression that got got left forever. Yeah. Like my cousins who were born there and spent like the first five to eight years of their life there are see the world in such a different way than me. And maybe that's about like other things that happen in their life but i'm also sure it's because of that first five to eight years living in an entirely different society have you had the opportunity to go back to you to to go back to ukraine yes i visited actually this was exactly interesting Ooh, i'm glad we get to talk about this i went with my mom to kiev um like a couple months before the revolution broke out oh wow so the air was like very tense um, and it w- and it was a really cool experience. Not it wasn't cool that the air was tense, but it was it was like cool going back to Ukraine mm-hmm. for my mom because she hadn't been back since she left. Oh my god! And I hadn't been. Period. And so for me, I'm like looking at this place that my parents spent like their the entirety of their youth until they were 27 years old, and like imagining streets that they walked on, like cafes that they. I probably didn't go in because they didn't have money, but <laughs> streets that they walked on, <laughs> lakes cafes that they, swam that in, they looked at, by <laughs> the cafes they walked by, <laughs> stores they walked by. Oh my god! Um, little oh, like actually, this is something they did. Like go to the park. Well, they went to the park a lot. There was like a really, there's a really big, beautiful park in Kiev that we went through. There's like a little puppet theater in the center of it. Kiev is really beautiful, and my mom was ha- also having this like trip down memory lane but also all the streets names were changed because you know former oh. communist era switching to like an independent republic they like changed all the street names so she was having a hard time finding anything uh so that was kind of funny too that's really interesting yeah yeah and it, it was a really interesting eye-opening trip Kiev was like such a city of contrast. It was really beautiful. It was also really weird getting on the train and like everyone like looks like you. And that was a weird feeling as well. 
I bet. Yeah. I experienced that a little bit when I go to Ireland. Yeah. It's it's weird, yeah. right? And and also everyone's speaking Russian. I was also or like Russian or Ukrainian, but Kiev is mostly Russian speaking. So I was also like a little like what's what's going on? Cuz the only time I experienced that like is at family friends' houses, yeah. not out in public on a train station and yeah. in a train. Was it a little bit sensory overload? A bit. Yeah. It, and I've traveled a lot too, so the fact that this affected me so much, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I guess. Well, it being I think that being surrounded by a language you don't understand yeah. versus being surrounded by a language that, although it was your first language, it's not the, the language that you predominantly use. Yeah. Well, I use it with my family. That's true. But I, I haven't seen it used in such quantity overload in yeah. public yeah. ever. And that was like startling to me. The whole experience was very startling. And it was just interesting being there like on the brink of revolution. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Uh-huh. So I have one. I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you anticipate getting out of this fellowship? And so far, what have you gotten out of it? So I hoped that I would be able to understand myself a little more going into this fellowship. Understand like my identity, why it is that I have such a strong connection to like my russian speaking jewish roots um and like and like why that i encompasses such a big part of my identity if it is my identity um what i ended up discovering and i think this actually was summed up for me really nicely in a in a video i saw a couple weeks ago a a genderqueer drag artist was talking about quantum physics on this video and how it's helped them understand their own identity because of like the lack of um, binaries in quantum physics and the lack of like defined controls and like how everything is like constantly changing and multiple realities exist at the same not realities what is it uh, uh, dimension so, uh, possible solutions or po- possible realities is it that exists at the same time yeah i think it's i think it's that uh, possible realities existing at the same time and so i was thinking about that how like in there have been there were so many instances in my parents and my family's story where like i couldn't have been here maybe i wouldn't have been here like my parents might have not been able to get a visa to america or they might have like you know like died going to the train station in Moscow because that was also a very real possibility when the Soviet Union fell. It was not a particularly safe place to be. Yeah. Um, so, like, I could have been dead or in Ukraine or in another country entirely as a completely different person with, yeah, I don't know. A, a lot of this, like, I, I just couldn't... All the possibilities that came together to bring me and my family to this moment in time in this place is really interesting to me and i think that's what i've been discovering as part of this project like what exactly it means that my family came from the former soviet union now ukraine that they're jewish that we settled in chicago of all places and that like i keep leaving chicago and then i keep coming back to it and then like why is that and i, I think there's something special here and that's that's all I've discovered so far. Well, you'll have to keep us posted. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. Well, we have a couple minutes left. And the last thing that we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes that's very obvious, like where uh, you can find a series of essays that exist and will exist soon. Yeah. Uh, but we also like shout outs to other people who are doing dope work or self-care things like you know media you're consuming whether that be books movies tv shows etc cool so i guess the first one is the obvious one where can you find these essays (laughs) that would be at medium.com forward slash at symbol identity dot diaspora um you can also find that link if you go on my instagram page at danielle levsky and it's it's the link that i posted under my profile nice um like i mentioned a little earlier the music 
focused first draft essay will be coming out the first week of November. And now that I've said it live on air, it has to happen. So that's good. <laughs> good. <laughs> and I'll collect responses for it for about a week I want to do this time. And I'll like fervently collect responses. And then I'll record the video. And then I will get the second draft draft up quickly so I can move on to the next essay, which I think will be fun to write about superstitions just before the holidays. That'll be cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. I am Maureen Smith. Uh, if you want to keep up, keep up with what we're up to, you can head to our website, scopymag.com. We post all of our articles, videos, podcasts, etc. there. You can also head to facebook.com slash scopymag or our Facebook group called Sounding Board. It is a really awesome group of like-minded people um, having discussions. We moderate it pretty heavily, so it's a very um, accepting group. If there's any toxicity, we get rid of it pretty quickly. So please, if you're having trouble finding it, reach out to me, Daniel, or the Scopy Magazine Facebook page to be let in. Otherwise, you can head over to Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. I think that's it under Scopy Mag. And you can find us on all of the podcast places, including iTunes, Google Play, and Radio Public under Scopy Radio. All right, now onto the part that I usually do. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, And as always, I'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is you can become a member for as little as $5 a month. You can help us keep our lights on and pay our artists. Uh, There are some cool incentives associated with those membership levels. So please, if you're in a position to do so, consider it. The other thing you can do is if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and want to advertise with us, you can reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Go out and make something.